0: Welcome to Putting the Real in Real Estate with Dave Nimick, the podcast where we work with real estate enthusiasts to share the unfiltered truth and the reality of real estate. Now our host, Dave. Thanks for tuning in to Putting the Real in Real Estate. This is Dave Nimick. Today, my guest is Jonathan Avon. He's been in business for 27 years. He's a practicing real estate attorney solely focused on real estate closings, handling all aspects of hundreds of residential closings each year. He's one of the most highly rated Chicago real estate attorneys on both Yelp and the legal review site AVVO. Mr. Avon has been recognized as one of the top three real estate lawyers in Chicago for the past three years. His goal is to make the closing process both pain free and enjoyable for his buyer and seller clients. First off, Jonathan, thanks for joining us. Dave, thanks for having me and congratulations on the podcast. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks very much. So first, we'd like to kind of find out how you got to this point in your career. I mean, 27 years is a very long time. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey?
1: Sure. So I got out of law school in the mid 90s. I was 25 years old. I was single and I was broke. So I did what all 25-year-old single broke men do, and I hung out at bars and tried to meet people. Well, it was during that time, because I was just starting out, I had a stack of cards, and I would hand my cards out to anyone and everyone who would listen to me. So if somebody said they had a legal question, I said, oh, I have a legal answer. Here's my card. Call me. And it was the bars. It was the cabs. It was anyone I met on the street. It was every human being I had met up to that point in my life. And as a result, I actually started to get calls from people that needed legal help with all kinds of matters, as you could imagine. So I started handling matters from bankruptcy and divorce to criminal and immigration, real estate, and everything in between. And after a few years of jumping around and doing all of this, I realized that there were certain areas of law that I liked and certain areas of law that I didn't. And what I really liked was areas of law where my clients were happy to actually engage me and more importantly, happy to pay me. So I tried to focus in those areas, uh, real estate and estate planning and small business work, which I did for many, many years. And then over the last five or six years, I have phased everything out except for real estate closings and i concentrate solely in handling closings and nothing else
0: wow that's uh that's great information and it sounds like certainly you you had a lot of experience in all sorts of different aspects and have narrowed it down to the specific area of real estate that's awesome (laughs) so why don't we get into today's topic there are two types of fraud that are currently happening in, in real estate. So let's first discuss wire fraud. If you can go through and just kind of explain what is wire fraud?
1: Sure. Wire fraud in its you know, basic definition is fraud using wire. But the way that's defined is anything electronic. So we think of email, think of uh, telephone, think of... Television, think of anything on the internet. So basically, if you're plugging something in and you're committing fraud, it's going to be considered wire fraud.
0: Okay. All right. And when did it start to happen, or when did you start to see it or or hear about it at least?
1: Sure. I think probably here a little bit of a background may be necessary because sure. there's some history that goes on here. So for many, many years, and you'll remember this from your early closing experiences. Sure. When buyers would come to the closing, they would bring a cashier's check for the balance of their down payment and their closing costs. And they would bring a cashier's check made payable to themselves or to the title company. And that was fine. They would hand that over a closing and there were really no issues. On occasion, there would be certainly the ability to commit fraud by bringing in a bogus check. But for the most part, there wasn't an issue. Around the late 2008, 2009 into 2010 is when apps started to be developed by the banks. Big banks, Chase and Wells Fargo and other banks created apps that allowed you to deposit your checks on your phones, which was great technology. However, what was happening is some very enterprising criminals, because we know criminals are always just one step ahead of both the law and technology right is the the criminals started getting cashier's checks for a closing but before they came to the closing to bring the cashier's check they were redepositing it into another account so by the time the person got to the title company with the cashier's check the cashier's check was no good but there was no way for anyone to verify that so they would do the closing they would close on the transaction title company would deposit the money thinking that it was going to be good. And then later on found out that those checks had already been deposited and they lost out on that money. So the title companies and the banks lobbied down in Springfield to get a law passed. It's what's known in Illinois and other states as the good funds law. And basically, what this law requires is if the money at closing is going to exceed $50,000, it has to be sent in certain uh, good funds, which is defined as wired. So the money has to be wired now. If it's under 50000 it could still be a cashier's check, but anything over has to be a wire. That was 2010. That went along fine for a while but around 2014 2015 we started to hear reports from other states about these wire fraud scenarios where people were wiring money to the closing and the wire instructions had been changed on the on their emails or they've been sent a bogus wire and they were wiring money to these phony accounts and they were losing The money and they weren't
0: able to close on the transactions wow so how does that happen like how did the that process happen where buyers ended up sending information to the wrong accounts sure
1: early on it was hackers and they were getting into they they started to target this industry because as you know there are a lot of players in the transaction right real sure. estate agents, the attorneys, the mortgage people, the buyer sellers, and, you know, so on. So you have a lot of people that aren't always looking closely at the emails they're getting. And back then, if you may recall, we were pretty open about sending wire information because nobody thought of it in terms of, oh, someone's going to hack an email. Right. So it was like, oh, I have an attachment. I send it to my client. They receive it. They get it. No big deal. Well, what these hackers were doing is they were getting into your account, my account, whoever, getting into our emails and waiting until they saw an opportunity. And the number one way that they were doing it was they would take your name, let's say, and they would add an extra letter in somewhere conspicuous, right? So Dave at Nimit team, They would add an extra I next to the I that's already there. And then, well, if you're looking closely at it, even you wouldn't recognize that, that that was not your email address. Right. Sure. So a buyer receiving something from you is going to go, oh, this is from Dave. And they will assume that it's valid. So if it were to say something like, oh, I just received updated wire instructions for you, use this for the closing instead, it seems innocuous. It seems like something that would have been provided. Most buyers don't know who's supposed to be communicating with them about what. So an unsuspecting buyer would go to the bank. They'd wire the money to that account. And of course, the problem was that that account was not an account related to you or me or the closing. It went to some criminal's account, and that's where the money was if they didn't get there quick enough
0: right so this it basically it sounds like they would hack into the yours mine you know the realtors or the attorneys at least in attorney states not all states use attorneys but whoever is connected with the account somehow hack into their (laughs) into their information and then just kind of lurk that's that is pretty sure right
1: that's correct and early on it was a little more rudimentary right? They were still learning the process. A lot of these scams, like many of them were, you know, were from Africa. And you could pick up on it pretty quickly because the grammar was terrible. And they didn't use the proper terminology for, you know, what we call a closing and who was involved. So there were a lot of things that would have been red flags if somebody was paying attention. Fast forward till today. And nowadays, these operations are run by criminal enterprises. Right. And they have people who understand English, they understand the process, they understand the role of the realtor versus the attorney versus the title company. And they have become very specific to being able to make it look like it's legit, So, that it would be a lot harder for somebody to pick up on it without really looking and paying attention and making sure that this is a legitimate
0: request for a change in wire information. Right, right. So, that begs the question: as far as are there ways where it can be reversed or canceled? Let's say someone has fallen prey to this where they did send the wire is there a point at which you're past the point of no return or how how does that look you know how can they stop it from happening
1: sure it depends how sophisticated the operation is and how quickly they work if the wire is still in a u.s bank it usually can be called clogged back it involves getting the fbi involved and you know then basically to try to track this money and put a pause on it and freeze that account before it can be sent overseas. Once it goes overseas, in most cases, pretty much out of luck. Because in most of those countries that money winds up in, there's no way for US law enforcement to get in there to try and get that money back. So the key in these cases, if you figure it out, is to address it as quickly as possible to make sure that the money comes back. Right. But I I will add to that, that the real important thing is do what you can not to be put in that position to begin with.
0: And that was the final question I had on this is how people can protect themselves and avoid it in the first place. And I know as a realtor, like there's, we're more proactive about warning people about this type of behavior, but uh, anything else you can add as far as just people protecting themselves so they don't fall for it in the first place?
1: Sure. A couple of points. Use common sense, right? I've been telling people, I would rather they only wire for the closing, which which they have to. I wouldn't wire earnest money. I wouldn't take the chance to wire money when you don't have to, because then you're not taking the risk. Be cautious. Take your time. Most of the problems that occur with the wire fraud is human error, Right, right. You're not looking at the email closely enough. You know what happens, right? We get busy. We get several hundred emails a day. All right, this is an easy one. I can crank this out. Here's the wire information, or whatever, and you just kind of go with it without realizing that you're potentially creating.
0: Well, I think it, it kind of leads into kind of what hackers try to focus on is distraction and whatever. And it's just kind of like, okay, we'll send this. Seems easy enough. It looks good enough. And that's where the error can come in. Plus it's the people who are receiving this, who are actually sending their money. They're on high alert for this stuff and they're figuring, okay, I'm getting this from a legitimate source. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Right. So. Yes.
1: And no, you're absolutely right. And unfortunately once they get into the system, You know, you click on something you shouldn't have three years ago, and you have somebody lurking in your system that you don't know about, then they're able to kind of take over and they're communicating directly with your client. You wouldn't even know. Right. You know, so it's one thing as far as having to make sure we educate our clients that they're aware of this problem, number one. And, you know, with my email, as with most people in the industry, it says at the bottom in bold letters, We do not send wire information. If you get anything from us, call us because we didn't send this. You know, so it's about taking steps so that the real estate agent, the mortgage lender, the attorney, everyone involved in the transaction is repeating the same mantra, which is don't rely on anything wire information that you get via email.
0: So how do people do that? Right. How do people do that when they're going through they're about to send this final wire? Like they're closing tomorrow and they're about to send this huge chunk of money. What other things, because email is still a communication, you know, it's a form of communication that is often used still in real estate, just without hopefully, you know, including all this sensitive information. Sure. What are some of the other steps, if any, that people can use to, to help validate that they're sending it to the right place at the right time?
1: Yes. One of the things that I've done for years is prior to sending final figures, I've always sent an estimate to my clients so they have an idea. And in that estimate, I give them the information for the title company. Here's the title company name, here's their phone number, here's your file number, call them to obtain the wire instructions. And then most title companies will send those in a secure email directly to the buyer, And I even have buyers that then will, after they receive them, call the title company back to verify. I know of an attorney who won't even put the title company information in an email. He tells the client, here's the title company. Go look on the internet to get their best phone number because I don't want my email hacked telling you to the phone number and then have that hacked so that you wind up calling the wrong place. No, I've heard that. Still getting bad information.
0: I've heard that too, where it's like, whether or not they say the title company name uh, in a phone call or via email, it's like check the company's website, check Chicago title's public facing website to see what the number says and call that number and talk to the rep that you know is the one handling it, that type of thing.
1: Absolutely. You have to be ever vigilant. And there a number of the title companies now are using companies that all they do is they're verifying wire information. So if you provide your client's email and uh, cell phone number, then they have uh, a dual form uh, notification so that they can get the information and it is coming in a secure portal. You know, it's great and we're moving in the right direction. But as I mentioned before, the criminals are always one step ahead of the game. So they'll figure out a way to do that. So as long as we're required to send wires, you take as much common sense and go through it. Verify right away. You know, your bank has sent the money. Make sure that you contact the title company and say, okay, did you receive it? Because if they haven't gotten it, and within a half hour, you could start to panic.
0: Right. And I would say confirm via more than one mode of communication, right? Email, as I said, is going to be used, but then a phone call or a text or something where it's dual communicated and then verified by the title company. So absolutely. Right. So that's only part of our fun communication and conversation here about fraud. (laughs) So in addition to wire fraud, there is also something that has been happening more and more, which is title fraud, entirely different from wire fraud, but certainly can still have a profoundly negative effect for homeowners. So, Jonathan, why don't you explain a little bit about what title fraud is? Sure. So this is something that comes after a closing. As you know,
1: all of the deeds for people that own property, it's recorded with the county. All that information is available online. It's a public record, which allows anyone to find out who the owner of a property is. It's not a difficult step for somebody to get access to the information, prepare a fake deed, transferring the property from you, Dave, to some unknown person or entity, forge a signature, forge a notary, go over to the county and record the document. In most cases, even in Cook County, you can walk in with a Deed, and if it's properly filled out, if it has the proper information on it, the legal description, the tax ID number, and it's got the correct boundaries and it's the correct, all the correct requirements, you could walk in and you could record it, even if it's totally fake. Because they're not looking at the signature to match it up and say, oh, well, this isn't Dave's signature, because they don't have a record of that. So And in some areas, it's even easier when you move away from the big cities where they don't have as much technology. So what has been happening over the last five years is there has been an increase in these people, criminals, preparing these deeds and transferring the property out of people's homes. And then what they do is once it's transferred into their name, they go out and they get mortgages on it and they take other liens against the property. So especially if you have a lot of equity in your property, you could wake up one day and find out that somebody took a $100,000 mortgage against your property, clearly never paid it. You weren't aware of it. And now you have a lender coming and foreclosing against you. And you have no defense as to the lender because the lender did what they were supposed to do. They have a proper buyer, a proper person who took out a mortgage and they verified that that person existed now the problem was the person never should have owned the house but because they were able to record this phony deed they do own the house in the eyes of the law wow
0: yes that is pretty profound stuff that uh is pretty frightening so what you're saying is most title companies uh they'll or when it, where it's recorded they will go down and they'll just present false documents, and it can become legal pretty much in the eyes. Is there a way to reverse that? Is there, like, how can it be reversed or canceled, or what can you tell us about that? Sure. If you can find the people involved, you could, in theory, reverse it. The
1: problem is that nobody involved actually exists, right? So it would be difficult to do something. So, what you really have to do is you have to try and prevent it, or you have to try become aware of it right away. Now, everyone who's listened to the radio has heard about all these companies out there now that you know they'll protect your title. The problem is, it's still after the fact because they even if they go, even if you go and check this uh, Cook County Clerk's website, which is now the you know the former recorder's website. If you go and you look every single day and make against your PIN number and see whether or not something's been recorded, by the time it's actually recorded, that's three weeks after it was actually done because there's a, a delay period between when the documents are recorded and when they get posted on the website.
0: And what so, you're saying is also, so that's three, three weeks to a month after it's actually been recorded is when it hits. And, and then what they do with that is then they take that and they apply for a loan against the property, right? That is, that is correct. With no intention of ever paying it back. Right. So, using someone else's name to borrow money, right?
1: Right. Someone who most likely doesn't exist except on uh, the driver's license that they're using for purpose of qualifying for that mortgage.
0: Right. And also you said it's usually on properties where there's a lot of equity. And I'm guessing... People use, you know, these Kirks use, you know, the online portals to see how much equity there is. I mean, there's a lot of information that can be found online to see, okay, this home has several hundred thousand dollars in equity. This is a good target for me.
1: Correct. And they tend to focus on places they're not going to get caught. So people that have a lot of equity that wouldn't notice it. Elderly people who aren't going to be computer savvy, aren't going to check these things vacant or second home properties where they may not be getting the mail to the property knowing that there was a mortgage taken out or they they're delinquent on their payments so they have tended to target on some of those areas that people are less likely to find them out
0: so i know you mentioned that even if you're watching this like a hawk every day you're watching your you know PIN number on the website or the property identification number is what PIN stands for, and the, you're taking a look at that, and then you see something's been recorded. So it isn't after the fact, but you catch it. Let's say you catch it early. Is there any way? Because you mentioned those different companies, maybe mentioning a couple of those companies that advertise, you know, protecting your title and kind of what they do to help people out. Should this happen, or if people want to prevent it?
1: Yeah. My understanding of what those companies do is, again, it's an after-the-fact situation. Okay, we found it. Now what? Well, we'll try to help you clear it. Well, you know, in order to clear it, you have to go to court, file a lawsuit. It's known as a... uh, To clear the title. So you're basically going into court and saying, well, this was a fraudulent deed. I'm still the owner. And then you have to have a judge decide. But even if that happens, And you win. You have to deal with the fact that you have a lien on the property where you have a bank that says I have a legitimate lien. So I think these companies will assist in that process. Again, it's all still after the fact. So it's something you again you don't want to be put in the middle of. Now there is Cook County, along with several other counties that I'm aware of around the country, do have processes in place now to try to address this issue, which addresses the issue before it becomes a problem. In Cook County, you can sign up to be on a watch list. So if anyone goes in and tries to record a document against your property, you will get a call or a text or an email that says, hey, somebody's trying to record something against your property. If this isn't you, you should be aware of it. To me, that seems like the best approach.
0: Now, is that something- Is that something where they won't allow it to go through unless you text back with, yes, that was me? Or is it just like a heads up type of thing? That's a good question. I'm not sure how it plays out in reality.
1: And I'm not sure how quickly the process works. The way it's set up, the way it's advertised, if you will, is someone goes in to try to record, you're going to get the call so you in theory would be able to say hey that's not me don't let this thing go through right right uh, so that if that was in place in areas around the country you would ha- it would slow things down of course but it would prevent this from being a realistic possibility because if a criminal knew that they were going to have to overcome this barrier they're more than likely not to even try
0: Well, and that's, so a couple of questions compared to what we're talking about wire fraud, which is the more common or prevalent these days, would you say?
1: Right now, wire fraud, because they've become so good at doing it over the last decade or so, I saw an estimate. It's billions of dollars that are lost each year because of wire fraud, because there are, especially right now, there are so many real estate transactions nationwide There are so many opportunities for people to get in and to hack an account and to steal the information. With the title fraud, the numbers are showing it's becoming more and more of an issue, but I don't think it's reached that level yet.
0: So it is definitely a a frightening prospect. You also mentioned kind of in rural areas, like our urban areas, like who is the prime target? Is it someone who? You mentioned maybe the elderly or in rural areas where there may be not any technology that's set up to catch this type of thing.
1: I would think with the title fraud, the rural areas are going to have less technology. You know, in the urban areas, city of Chicago, Cook County, you do have this technology in place. Now, nobody knows about it. So it, would, it has to be something that people become more aware of and it becomes part of it. The transaction, you know, everyone along the way needs to say, Oh, you should do this. And it really should be something that, you know, the county should go to the title companies and make a presentation and say, You know, here's a brochure. You should hand this out at every single closing and make people sign up. You know, something along those lines would prevent this at a much larger scale.
0: Right. Yeah. And I will. Put in the the notes of the podcast, kind of how to do that for Cook County. Since our listeners are from all around the country, um, I'll put in other resources for that information on a larger level. Certainly, is there if someone owns a home outright? And obviously, most properties have a mortgage on them. But is there a difference if someone doesn't have a mortgage at all? Is there a way? I know there's. Uh, land trusts and different things, any other protections that that might afford? Sure. One of the
1: best ways to protect yourself as the owner of the property, if you are just trying to remain private, is with a land trust. A land trust creates a trust where there is a company that shows up as the owner of the property. It doesn't show up in your name. So, you would keep that, your identity would be kept out of the public, which would make it more difficult for somebody to commit this type of fraud. It wouldn't prevent it necessarily, because if I'm going to go in and forge your name, there's no reason I can't go in and forge the name of a land trust company either. It just would be a little more difficult. It would take a few more steps, possibly but it's still something that could possibly happen but the land trust itself is a great device if you are trying to make sure that nobody knows who you are so, you know, famous people people with a lot of money people with a high opinion of themselves you know all of those people that want to remain nameless would
0: be interested in a land trust potentially gotcha well that is fantastic information jonathan thank you very much if someone wants to speak with you, what's the, the best way for them to contact you? Sure, Dave. First of all, thanks for uh, the invite. This has been a lot of fun. Sure. If anyone's
1: interested in uh, talking to me about real estate closing or any of those other issues we discussed, the uh, best way to reach me is email. That's Jonathan at A-V-E-N-L-A-W dot com. Perfect.
0: And in closing, is there anything else that our listeners should think about with regards to fraud in real estate?
1: I would say the most important thing to think about is again, I said this before, use common sense. We're talking about the biggest purchase of your life. We're talking about most people have never wired this kind of money before. Most people haven't even used the wire system. So, be overly cautious, be paranoid, ask lots of questions, verify every step of the way, and nobody's going to be upset with you if you come across as being overly concerned about losing your money.
0: Right. No, that totally makes sense. And I guess when it comes to to your money in general, as a general rule, you want to have a little paranoia. Paranoia is not necessarily a bad thing in order to protect it. So... Thanks again, Jonathan, for all the information. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to Putting the Real in Real Estate. Thank you for listening to Putting the Real in Real Estate with Dave Nimick. Make sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss an episode. You can find our guest contact information and real estate resources in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode of Putting the Real in Real Estate.